Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Claire Fowler. Claire grew up in Belle Island. She spent time working in fish plants and other food processing plants before moving to Ontario in 1999 to do the Karapati program at the Michener Institute for Applied Health. She moved to St. John's in 2004 and worked for a decade before switching gears and following her passions for art and craft. She completed the textile, craft, and apparel design program with the College of the North Atlantic in 2016, and is now a full-time craftsperson and maker with an open studio at the Kitty Vitty Village Craft Plantation. Her body of work focuses on the use of seal fur and seal leather. Claire, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Dale. I'm delighted to have you here, and it's nice to. It's always nice to have craftspeople uh, on the show. I, I love, I love getting into like why people are passionate about such technical technical things and the, and those amazing skills that people have. So mm-hmm. I'm delighted that you're here. Oh, thank you. But I you love kind of, talking about it. <laughs> you you kind of took um, a, a twisting route to get to where you are now, I guess. Mm. Well, not all paths are directly from A to B. Sometimes <laughs> we like to move all the way around the alphabet before we get to B. <laughs> So you moved back here, um, and and you were you were working in the health field, and then and then you made the shift into craft. So what 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 uh, what caused that shift? What what made you start to think about doing that work with your hands? Well, I had always well even with when I was uh, doing chiropathy work or podiatry work, as a lot of people know it is. It's a it was a very sort of hands on manual work. Whether I was you know clipping somebody's toenails or doing wound care or applying a cast so I could make a set of orthotics for somebody, it was a very manual, um, very manually, fo- for me anyway, very manually focused sort of work anyway. Um, and growing up on Bell Island, uh, I grew up with my grandparents, and so Nan was always teaching me how to do things. And it was, it was a practical application for knitting. So you needed socks, you needed a sweater, you needed something, or it was quilting because we needed a new cover for the bed, or, you know, they always had, um, my uncle always had animals uh, growing up, and uh, Nan and Pop and even my uncles, they had gardens. So it was always, I was always, um, engaged to be working with my hands. So when I was doing um, chiropathy work, when I was practicing here in St. John's, um, yeah, I mean, working with my hands was never far from where I was anyway. Mm -hmm. And I made the switch to move into a professional craft career um, when I got pregnant with my son. the work that I'd been doing in karate, as much as I loved it, and when I get into things, I tend to care about them very deeply. And, you know, it's very, um, I get into the nuts and bolts of it practically, and practically as in hands-on, not necessarily whether it's useful or not, but practically, and also emotionally and mentally. And when I was doing that work, I found it very challenging to leave it in the office when I came home at the end of the day. And when I got pregnant with my son, my husband and I had some really interesting conversations about maybe about maybe my shifting gears and doing something else. And we, ta- we had a number of options, and he said, well, you know, it's kind of up to you what you want to do, but, you know, maybe you want to stay home. And I said, well, I actually have this pipe dream of going down uh, a career in craft. And I did some research, and the Anna Templeton Center was hosting the program with College of the North Atlantic, the textiles program. Yes, yeah. And so I looked into that, and I applied and got accepted, and I haven't looked back since. Now, were textiles something that you kind of came uh, came to with this family background, like your 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 family being knitters and quilters and that kind of thing? Was that was that something that you had engaged in before you went into the textile program? Yes, but very loosely. It was. It didn't have the same sort of structure as right. before the the textiles program, and it was very utilitarian. I mean, Nan, she was never. I mean, she did quilt, but she wasn't what one would say a quilter. 
and she knit, but she wasn't what somebody would say, a knitter. Um, she did these things because, I mean, she enjoyed them, yes, but because she had to, and it served a purpose where we were. You know, my, my dad would mend nets, my grandfather would mend nets. Looking back, I wish I had learned to mend nets because in this stage of my life, like I feel like that would be so freaking cool to know how to do. <laughs> yeah. And I would be able to apply that to my my art and craft practice as it exists. I can, yeah. I can find someone to teach you how to mend a net. I'm, I'm sure, taking yeah. you up on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sure we can. Um, so can, for people who aren't familiar with the textile program, can can you describe how, how long a program is it? What kind of skills do you learn in the, sure, in the program? Sure, yeah. It's a two-year program. It's a two-year diploma program with College of the North Atlantic. Um, and in your first year, you are exposed to elements of design. You're exposed to knitting, quilting, sewing, weaving, um, print and dye techniques. And I feel like I'm missing something, but I can't think of it off the top of my head now. You're also exposed to art history. Um, you're also exposed to craft history. You're exposed to um, drawing uh, and all those different things that would be helpful to round out your practice and also to sort of solidify what you're doing and to be able to map it out and to plan what you want to do uh, with a particular craft, whether it's an isolated project or whether it's a series of production runs. Because as a craftsperson, and I suppose as an artist, although I can't really speak to that, um, you need to figure out a way to make a living. So this program helps to sort of set you up and to prepare you to make a living as an independent craftsperson. And at what point in your in your education or your, your training did you start to work with, with seal skin skill leather? Oh, so that was really that was a really interesting sort of twist of faith. So I'll go back to when I was pregnant with my son and my husband brought home this sealskin pillow when we first brought uh, our little guy home. And it was beautiful. It was maybe like two feet long, maybe like seven or eight inches wide, and it was this really sort of it was this beautiful piece. And I was wondering, you know, how, you know, how is this going to be around a baby? And we have a dog and we have a cat and we have all these things. But anyway, so the baby would lie on it and the dog would roll over it and I would sit on it and, you know, and I would nurse him on it. And so, and by virtue of that, there would be spit up on it and some milk would be spilled and the dog would be, anyway. But no matter what we did to this pillow, it always looked brand new and it always looked gorgeous. And it just, it just with, withstood whatever it is we were going to do to it in the house. So we didn't have to be delicate with it. It just, it just sort of... It was a, a very valuable piece of furniture and life in the house. And so I kind of took that memory, and in our first year in the uh, textiles program, in our design uh, design course, uh, our instructor Steffi challenged us to do a series of multiples. And the project was one to teach us what it was like to do multiple pieces, so like a production run. But also she challenged us to really investigate and to think about why we were choosing materials and what they meant to our project. And the premise of the project was to investigate the works of Sir Rolf Grenfell and uh, his handicraft project. And so they did a lot of, um, what word am I looking for, like physiotherapy type of works using uh, craft skills. And so I took a look into that and I decided I was going to design a bunting bag. Because again, I'm a new mother at the time, so bunting bags were very relevant to me. So I wove all the material for it and uh, fold it, which is a something like felting, but not quite. And what I wanted to do was use seal skin, because there was also a number of pictures of Sir Wilfred Grenfell uh, wearing seal skin boots and coats and everything. Um, and so I wanted to rim this particular piece with uh, seal fur around the hood, around the mitts, and then around the bottom of the bunting bag, and the rest of it was woven. And so by the time I finally got to the end, to the end of that project, I had this 
I was really pleased with what had happened. And working with seal skin was such a, was such a challenge to figure out. Um, because of the way it moves on itself. It's not like taking two pieces of cotton and they kind of stick together and you can sew them and it's okay. When you sew something, you sew right sides together. So the fur was always moving on itself. And I was just getting these skills. So it was really, it was a real challenge for me, but I loved it because I love a good challenge to get into something. And then another thing I started to realize was that the seal skin was the only thing I could source locally. So all the yarn, and we have a huge tradition of knitting in this province, but all the yarn tends to come from somewhere else. Um all of the thread, all of the needles, all of the machinery that I was using, like everything in front of me, pencils, paper for designing, all of that came from somewhere else. But the seal skin was the only thing I could get locally. And so I started thinking about what that meant to me as a craftsperson. And I mean, initially I hadn't really thought about taking seal skin and um, focusing on its use in all of my projects and sort of developing my body of work down that line. But from this project, I really, it really started to kind of grabbed me that this was incredibly relevant to Newfoundland. So it was relevant to my people. It was relevant to my history. It was relevant to everything here. And I knew that with this particular, um, this particular element in my project, the people who were partaking in this were there because they wanted to be. Like, it wasn't, nobody was forcing them into a factory to work in uncertain conditions, and it wasn't slave labor. Like, everybody who participates in this industry does so because they choose to. So the conditions that they work in are conditions they kind of set for themselves. And I know they make a living wage, and I know that they can support themselves, and I know all of these really wonderful things. So then that meant a lot to me. And it was in that design program where I was constantly being challenged to ask, why am I doing this? Why am I using that? Why am I putting it together this way? Why, 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 why? Yeah, like I know that was a bit of a tangent, but <laughs> that's, that's kind of what got me started. Yeah. It was the social responsibility of it. Yeah. And so you, you finished the program, and now you're at uh, the, the craft plantation down, mm-hmm. in, down in Kitty Bitty. Which is an incredible place to be. Yeah, like we had we had Graham Blair on, I listened, the, on yeah, the show I yeah, talking about the, the plantation. So some of the listeners will be familiar with that. So how, how long have you been there? How long have you been at the plantation? I've been there about a year and a half. Yeah. yeah. And I applied for that position when I was doing my last year of the, the program. Right. So, yeah, it was December, uh, late December. So tell us a little bit about the work you're doing now. What are, what are you creating? What are you making? Right now I am creating, I'm in a bit of a space where I'm kind of, I guess, redesigning a number of things. Um, And I'm also doing some, I guess, research and development work uh, with Carino. They've agreed to work with me to uh, work out different weights of leather. So, I mean, seal fur is one thing, or seal skin as it's called in the industry. Seal fur is one thing, but then it can also create these really beautiful weights of leather. Um, so maybe, explain, bit, maybe explain what Carino is. Oh, okay. So Carino is the processing plant. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in Dildo, so that's about an hour outside of St. John's. Yeah. And so when all of the harvesters land their catches, because the, the seal industry is within uh, the Department of Fisheries and OSHA, so we'll use their terminology. So when all the harvesters land their catches, they go into, uh, one of the plants they can go into is Dildo. And so Dildo is the manufacturing or the processing plant, and so they'll do seal leather uh, and seal skin. They'll do uh, oil, um, so the capsules, and then they send that to kind of all over Canada for different processing, so a number of different people process the capsules in different way. And then uh, they'll also send the, uh, the carcass or the meat on to another processing facility for, um, just for processing, because with meat it's a consumable, edible thing, and it has its own set of standards around quality assurance and whatnot. So yeah, that, 
they do that. Okay, so so they're you're working with them on different developing different types of different leather. Different types of leather, yeah. yeah. And then what are you what are you creating with that leather? Well, I'm hoping to get into things that are more structured, like briefcases and bags and sort of... Um, Fun. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah. yeah. Because a bit more structural. A bit more structural. Yeah. Yeah, because the more, the more I'm sort of going down this path, the more I, I really I enjoy structure. And, and that's not something I probably would have said at another point in my life. But even when I'm setting... Okay, so there's the structure of my actual work um, and the pieces that I want to create. But then there's also sort of the structure and the background that leads up to that with the process that gets me to where I am in the plantation, for example, because there's a lot of structure and process behind that particular programming that the average person doesn't see when they come into that space. Um, yeah. And I'm developing a line of sweaters and I want to develop more products that are for men because a lot of what I'm doing now is very female centric, which is really great. And I love it, but I haven't, you know, I have a number of men who walk past my my studio and say well where's a wallet like I would just like a belt <laughs> and I think you know what yeah like I would really like to make you a belt but I need this particular type of leather in yeah. order to make you that belt yeah so right now you're you're wearing these earrings that I'm assuming are of your own design. no actually they... a friend of mine oh, really? did these. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah we support each other yeah like she yeah she did these beautiful and I was like those earrings they're hot I love those <laughs> I would like a pair of those yeah and so we we either trade off or yeah that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's been your most popular seller? What, what, what seems to sell well? Um, for men right now, well, I only do a few things for men, but bow ties. Uh, I, can't t- I can't keep them in stock. Um, and they're a great conversation piece. And then I also do uh, coin purses for women, and they have this really sweet little kiss clasp on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen pictures of those. Yeah, yeah they those are, are probably sweet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're probably my best sellers. So, so you're at the plantation, and you yeah. you've been there. You said for a year and a half yep. now, um, and the the concept of the plantation is that people, tourists, can come in and, and engage with the the craftspeople as they're working. Mm-hmm. What what is the response of come from a ways who come in and see the work that you're doing? You know, it's a bit of a mixed bag because it's accessible and it's open all year round. Um, and so the, the the municipal and provincial government sort of um, they put it in line. They put it in front of a lot of tourists to say, you know, this is one of the things you need to see when you go to Newfoundland. And we're open all year round, so it's accessible all year round to whoever's traveling, whether it's for a conference or whether it's just for a holiday. Um, and so the people who walk in front of me, typically they're um, a bit more educated. They're they have you know their tastes are a bit more discerning, um, and they're also not afraid to sort of dive into conversation when they're unsure if the information that they've been given up to this point is accurate information. Right. So I tend to have a lot of very intense conversations about the actualities of the seal hunt. And I do my best to be as informed as possible. But I mean, ultimately, I'm not a subject matter expert. Um, and there are people who really are. So I connect with those people who are the subject matter experts and say, you know, I've just been asked this question. This is the answer I gave. Is this appropriate? More often than not, it was a good answer. Um, and then they start giving me the information. So in front of my studio, if somebody doesn't actually want to talk to me, because not everybody wants to have that type of intense conversation, in front of my studio, I have a whole um, sort of series of pamphlets and information that talk about different aspects of the seal hunt. And they can take those and go on. And I'm actually having to replenish those every week. Yeah. yeah. Is there, a, is there a, a myth that people come to you kind of believing more often than any other? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> There's a few of them. Well, you know, because they have the um, the international groups who are against the welfare, or against the seal hunt are really good at 
hanging on to images that are from like 40 and 50 years ago. So they see those images from the 60s where, I mean, I don't know if these were, I don't know how accurate the images are, but, you know, they see images of, you know, bloody baby seals. And they, you know, they come with this idea because that image is not going away. They come in front of me and expect me to be that, and I'm, I'm not that. And then they're wondering, okay, so I have this image that's from 40 or 50, although they don't know it's from that long ago. They have this image, you know, what they thought the seal hunt was, and then they stand in front of me, and I'm telling them my version of what the seal hunt means to me. And, yeah, you can see them sort of, you know, wrestling with, how do I reconcile these two lots of information? And on occasion, I'll have somebody come back to me, and, you know, it's a tourist, and on one day I've had a conversation with this person, and maybe a day or two later they come back, and, you know, they've actually apologized because... They've, they've apologized because they had believed in one thing, and then once they had done a bit more research and looked a bit more deeply into the subject, they realized they were wrong, and they had judged me before they even met me. Right. And now they're here, and they're like, well, this is, this is actually pretty good. Like, it satisfies all the criteria of being humane and local and sustainable and green and, you know, 100-mile diet kind of thing and low-carbon footprint. It satisfies all of those, you know, catchy buzzword um things that are going, you know, that are moving around lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that this is something that you're really interested in, the, the issue of uh, biodegradability and yeah. kind of sustainability. And, and that that is a part of your kind of work and your process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that is something that, that's part of your passion, you know, I guess. For sure. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, it, you know, things don't last forever and things aren't necessarily meant to last forever. They're meant to last, like a good quality item is meant to last for a good long time. And absolutely, when you buy one of my products, I want it to last for a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. But I certainly don't want it to last for the next millennia. Right. Yeah. And and ultimately, your your work will return to the earth in some, in yeah. some form. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then it's all good. You were in Toronto. Was it Toronto? Ottawa? Where? Ottawa. Ottawa. You were in yeah. Ottawa recently for an event. What, what was that? Yeah, it was National Seal Day on the Hill, and it was a really exciting thing to be a part of. Um, so National Seal Day had been happening on Parliament Hill for the past five years, but this year it received royal assent. So now it's an official day in Canada, which is really exciting because that says that, you know, all the powers that be and, you know, the highest levels of government and everybody involved in that recognize that it's incredibly important to the communities that rely on it for for their for their livelihoods. So that's rural Canada, that's rural Newfoundland, Labrador, that's coastal communities, that's the north, that's all of these people who like directly rely on it. Who was there? Well, there was all levels of um all levels of people within the industry. So uh, my friends from Carino were there. Um, there was representation from the Craft Council in Newfoundland, Labrador, in I want to say Nunavut, but I'm not quite sure. Although there was there was people there from all over. I'm sorry, I'm kind of stumbling on this one. Who who was who was there from from Newfoundland? I was there. Yeah. Um, and Tracy Halley was there from Sealed with a Kiss. Uh, Dion Dakins was there from Carino. Um, Eldred Woodford was there from the Canadian Sealers Association. Um, Bernie Halloran was there from Vogue Furriers. Rowena House was there from the Craft Council. Um, and it's kind of her baby. She's been involved in this for, I think, since inception, although she might speak to that better than I can. Um, who else was there from Newfoundland? 
I know there's been a, a yeah. kind of a, a growing interest in the culinary side of it. Uh, oh as right, well. yes, I, thank you. Yeah. I totally yes. Yeah, so Todd Perrin so Todd was Perrin there. Todd was there. Who's yeah. also down in Kitty Vitty. Who's also know, down in Kitty yeah. Vitty? Absolutely. Sorry, Todd. <laughs> 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 right, and so um, the first day we were there, it was uh, an event the Speaker of the House had hosted. So everybody sort of came together. It was a smaller group, and you know there were a number of speeches, and then there was uh, updates on where the industry is and kind of what the vision is to go forward. And then there was a bit of a fashion show. So designers, myself included, um, had a number of pieces, and people were invited to come and try them on, and it was a very informal sort of uh, fashion uh, exposition kind of thing. So that was really interesting, and it was really great to see works that are coming out of the different regions and kind of what their different spin is on working with sealskin. Because, you know, up north and north and in Labrador and whatever, like they've been working with this material for like eons for so long. So they, you know, they have a really incredible grasp on what it takes to work with it. And I'm relatively new, so for me it was so inspiring to see all of these different things. And I was doing something different than what they were doing. And so there was a really interesting sort of meeting of the minds where, you know, I was like, what, your work is wicked. And they were like, yeah, but your work is pretty cool, too. And, yeah, so it was really great. And then the second night, it was a big industry dinner. Um, And so that's when Todd Perrin and Eric Pateman from BC, they came together and made this, uh, oh, it was absolutely incredible. And it was like small plate, uh, six or seven courses. And I'm not much of a foodie, so I, you know, I, I didn't document it as well as I should have, although I did get a couple of pictures to post to Facebook. And it was just like, it was incredible and I'd never had seal prepared in so many different ways I mean I've always had you know seal flipper pie and what Nan and Pop would always do with her growing up and whatever but yeah it was it was so absolutely blow your mind <laughs> delicious right yeah, yeah yeah it was really cool one of the projects that you're interested in doing some work on uh, involves documenting and learning from some of these old timers who have the traditional skills and a, a process called bark tanning so mm. what is bark tanning so bark tanning is a process by which you collect um, bark and pieces of bark and twigs and, and branches and whatnot from trees that are indigenous to the area. And I'm still learning about what the process is, so this is just my bare bones sort of version of what the process is. So uh, slurry is created. Um, well, you get your, your seal pelts, and a slurry is created, and the pelts are treated with this particular slurry. Then they're stretched over frames, and then they're scraped off. All the oil and fat and everything is, is scraped off. And then you use a pond in the area, and the pelts are submerged in this pond for a number of weeks. And that helps to dehair the pelts. So what you're left with is ultimately leather. And then that leather is treated with this slurry of birch bark and var and fur and that's what uh, that's what actually tans the material and the leather that you get from that is absolutely incredible and it can be any number of different thicknesses depending on the age of the animal that was harvested um, there's a thinner uh, a thinner type of that leather and that's what that's what's been used for skin boots and I mean, they have such a historical and cultural significance on the Northern Peninsula. Mm. So many people have used them and they were just like a necessity of life. And they're actually absolutely beautiful and stunning, but not too many people are making them anymore. And not too many people are doing the birch bark processing. I know a number of people who are sort of experimenting with it, um, but we were only able to track down one gentleman who was actually still doing it on somewhat of a small scale because the demand for it was lessening over time. Um, 
And your yeah. and your longer term goal is to go up to the Northern Peninsula and learn some of these skills, document the tradition, and right. and then be able to incorporate that that into your practice. Absolutely. I mean, the ultimate goal for that would be to have it logged and documented, you know, in the Monarch archive somewhere so that it was never lost, to have sort of a, a, a document that was accessible and uh, accessible on a number of levels, like one, people could get their hands on it, but also that they could understand what was happening and be able to reproduce it, you know, years down the road so they wouldn't have such a hard time trying to find somebody who could still do this. I mean, the gentleman we talked to, he was probably in his mid-70s. Who knows how much longer he's going to be able yeah. to do it? And the same thing with the woman we talked to about the boots. I mean, maybe she, I, mean, I don't want to be ageist or what have you, but, you know, she was definitely in her 60s, maybe even a little bit older. And again, how much longer are these people going to be doing it? Mm-hmm. And part of what they were saying back to us is that they couldn't find young people who were even interested right. in it. Because I, I suppose, you know, your, your parents always want a great life for you. And sometimes that great life, they don't see the great life as, you know, what's in front of them in that particular region or area. For my part, a beautiful life with me would be being on the Northern Peninsula and working with seal leather and seal fur and making it and then creating beautiful things out of it. But I know that's valuable. I don't need someone else to tell me that that's valuable. And I feel like there's been a number of generations, especially in the sealing industry, where there have been a lot of groups communicating that it's not valuable anymore. So what, what was the response of these um, tradition bearers to having, you know, young women come up they and wanting really to learn? They were really excited about yeah. it, yeah. yeah. At first they were a bit dubious because I don't know if they... I think the the first person we talked to was... He was dubious because he, he wasn't quite sure that we weren't um, anti-sealers. Right. So once he got over that, that we were... And my friend was also from the Northern Peninsula, so that kind of added a little bit of credibility because right. he could go back and find her <laughs> family father, yeah. kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that was very, very valuable and very wonderful. And so once we established that, yeah, no, we were legitimately interested in this because we wanted to continue the tradition, then the floodgates of information opened, and mm-hmm. he was very... And, well, they both were. They were very, very happy about and it. I, and I know you're kind of in the process now of looking for funding to go up and do some research. Mm-hmm. Well, what is your dream? What is the process you would like to follow there on the Northern Peninsula? You want to you want to go up and kind of see it from start to finish, I would Absolutely. imagine, and, and yeah. do some documentation. So it would be early spring yeah. that we would go up. And the process takes a number of months. So whether that's us being able to spend, you know, that four or five months on the Northern Peninsula, or maybe it's us moving back and forth from the Northern Peninsula, like a you know, a couple of weeks of a couple of weeks block of time uh, here and there, moving back and forth. Because sometimes with the process, you do what you need to do with it, and then it needs to sit for a couple of weeks. So maybe we're back in town for that couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. So the actual tanning and soaking, like that, that takes a, a period of time. Oh then, yes, I would yeah. Imagine. Yeah. 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 It's not a it's not a fast process. Right. Yeah. Um. So that's that seems like you've got a lot on your plate you you have some ideas for a new kind of structural designs you have this kind of longer term research project you're so you're invested in this this is oh yeah no 100 percent. yeah i'm down this rabbit hole <laughs> as far as i can go <laughs> and then i'm also working on an art project yeah which is what which is um in you know in my own okay so my words my mode of communication is not particularly words i mean i can i can have a conversation but i'm not I prefer to communicate with images. So it's an art project that will be uh, using seal skin and seal fur to tell a story of, of the sealing industry as I see it and challenging people to look more closely at it. If people want to get in touch with you, how mm-hmm. do they find you? Well, you can come to Kitty Vitty and stand in front of me directly. <laughs> Which is always nice. Yeah. <laughs> Which is always nice. I'll put on the kettle if you're nice. <laughs> 
Um, or they can uh, f- go on my website or find me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. And if they're out, if they're looking for you on Facebook, what's the name of your your business? Claire Don Couture. Yeah. And on Instagram, it's Claire underscore Don. Okay. And you yeah. do custom work. And I do custom work. Yeah. I love the custom work best of all, I think, because it's the most challenging. And then I can get sort of intimate with what the process is and then have some really interesting conversation with the person who is asking me for the work because they typically have a vision of how they want to see it. And so I'm looking at the technical aspects of giving them what they want. And then between the two of us, it usually ends up being like this thing that's even better than we both had it imagined. Yeah. So I love the custom work. I love getting into it. Well, when you get all your leather stuff sorted, I'll, I'll be coming to you for a belt. Sounds good. <laughs> Right. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm Dale Jarvis. You've been listening to Living Heritage, a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ICH underscore NL. Thanks for listening.